Amen. You guys can have a seat. Absolutely. Give it up for that. Those of you that are here and those of you that are watching online, welcome. My name is Josh Falk. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And before I jump into the message today, we have a few announcements for you. Justin and Izzy, they're two of our high school uh, students here at the church. Um, They have a few announcements for us, so take a look at this. Hey Fairfax, just a couple quick announcements before we continue on with the service. First of all, we believe that church is so much more than just a building or weekend service, right? So um, we believe that we're a family united in Christ. So to that end, if you're new here, welcome, first of all, but um, we'd love to get you connected with our family. So um, we'd love to get to know you and to connect you with the group. Or if you're not new here, but are not yet part of a group, we believe that thriving in your faith and life is best done in the context of a community, right? So um, we'd love to get you connect with the group and now is the perfect time to do so because summer groups have just launched so we want to help you find the right group for you another great way to get connected is through serving one of my favorite parts of the week is doing children's ministry and working with the kindergartners so if that's something you're interested in in person you can go out to the lobby and there should be someone waiting for you at a table or if you're online there should be a link on your screen This summer, the youth ministries at Fairfax are joining together to host Camp Grow from July 6th through July 9th right here in this building. So this camp is specifically geared toward elementary age students, but if you are in middle or high school or even in fifth and sixth grade, we're actually inviting you to be counselors or helpers behind the scenes. Izzy and I will both be there and we hope that you'll join us. Um, Registration for both campers and volunteers is online outlined on our website. Get excited, Fairfax, because child dedications are coming back this year. One weekend in August and another in October. The registration for the August weekend, the 14th and the 15th, is already open. So if that's something your family's interested in, then go ahead and head over to the website. Well, that's all the announcements that we have for you today. Also, shout out to the Hangar fam. We love you, and we'll see you later. (laughs) Awesome. Shout out to the Hangar for sure. For those of you that don't know, I've grown up in this church been going here since I was like 10 years old, so I'm very much familiar with our student ministry, and our youth pastors have been here for a long time. They were my youth pastors, um, so definitely a huge shout out of just what God is doing in the life of our students, and great to have Justin and Izzy as a part of our service today. Um, so before we jump in to the message, I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of you who give generously to this place God is doing some incredible things in the lives of folks here in our church, online, in our community, and around the world, and all of that is just made possible by those of you who partner with us financially. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you'd like um, to be a part of that, um, there's several ways that you can um, get involved and give. You can give through our boxes in the back of the sanctuary for those of you who are in person, or you can go to our website. If you're watching online, you can click the button at the top. Um, you can also text Fairfax Give to 833-245-8609. Um, so we are in week 10 of this series. Guys, this is an 11-week series, and we're in week 10. Like, this is huge, uh, home stretch, super exciting um, to be um, finishing this off and wrapping this up. And so we're in this series, it's called Witness. And um, in this series, we've been reading through the book of Acts. And Acts was written um, by Luke. Um, Luke is one of the four gospels that talks about the, um, the ministry and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And so one of those gospels was written by this um, guy named Luke, and he writ, wrote a sequel to it, uh, which is what we call Acts. And it's um, the eyewitness account, his eyewitness account of how God worked through the Holy Spirit to build the early church. He shows how the formation of the church came to be and how it transformed from this little Jewish sect centered, on, centered in Jerusalem to this multi-ethnic, multicultural, global movement that is welcoming to all. It's the story of lives transformed. It's the story of barriers broken down. It's a story about how relationships are valued over customs. Today, we're gonna be picking up the story in Acts chapter 20. Paul's one of the main characters um, that we've been following along with, and he was transformed by an encounter with Jesus, and he went from a persecutor of Christians to a preacher and leader in the early church because of Jesus. Over these last several chapters, we have been traveling, um, we've seen Paul traveling around, building up new churches, proclaiming the gospel. And as we come to chapter 20, Paul is wrapping up one of his missionary journeys and he's making his way back to Jerusalem. So he is aware that the Jewish leaders who he's had a lot of run-ins with, um, they're out to get him, you know, they don't want him preaching the gospel and all of that. And so he knows that going to Jerusalem, there's a good chance he may be arrested and put on trial. And sure enough, if we were to just do a little flash forward here for a moment, Acts 21 to 28 is about how Paul is arrested and put on trial. And so this is like this moment right before that happens. It's this transition point to the last phase of the book. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows he may be arrested. He's passing nearby a familiar um, city, Ephesus. Ephesus is where he had recently spent three years, which is a long time for him to spend in one place, three years building up the church there. So as you can imagine, he was so close with the Christians that were there. So as he's passing by, he decides to stop and, and see his friends. He knows it might be his last opportunity to ever see them again, and Paul meets with, this, with, the, with the church, but he just meets with the leaders and the elders. So some of his like, closest friends that he did ministry with and lived life with. And we're gonna look at Acts 20, verses 18 through 38. We'll be jumping around a little bit because there's a lot to cover in this passage but we're gonna get an inside look into Paul's life, this intimate encounter with his dear friends. The early church, as we've been reading along, and as we see in the letters that Paul's written in other parts of the Bible, the early church had its flaws, but it's in passages like this that we see what the church was meant to be, what it can be today when we keep Jesus at the center. And that's what we're gonna be talking about and looking at today, that's the lens we're gonna be looking at because we as a church, our identity is a community following Jesus. So this passage I think can speak directly to us about how we can be a community following Jesus. What is the church supposed to look like? What should my small group look like? How can I be the church and follow Jesus in my family, in my personal relationships, in my neighborhood? So let's read, starting in verse 18. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, 
From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So at the beginning here, Paul is reflecting back, right? He's, he's getting together with his old friends. He's like, remember when? Remember, what this, this is what we were, right? So he's reflecting back on these three years. And we see um, this community that's following Jesus that is grounded in the gospel, grounded in God's truth. Let's look again at verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. So first, we're gonna look at, um, to kind of dissect how this church was grounded in the gospel. We're gonna first look at some pairs of words in, this, in verse 20. The first pair, preached and taught. This is what the essence of the church is all about. A church that is about declaring the truth about who God is. A place that declares the truth about who Jesus is. Later on in the address, we see that Paul is concerned the church might miss this. He's concerned the church might miss this. And he says in verse 31, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. Jobs, um, Paul's job is to protect and guard and teach and declare the truth, to share the good news of Jesus, to be grounded in God's word. And that is what the church is here to do. And this is so important because the gospel points to the truth about who God is, and God wants to know us. He wants to have a relationship with you and I and everyone and how do we get to know God? You know, it's like this. If you wanna know someone, you can't just believe anything about the person and say, oh, I think that's what this person's about. Like, you can't just say, look at me and say, Josh, I think you're a top 10 basketball player on the planet. I believe that about you, Josh. And I'm just like, what? Like, you know, do you know me? I mean, you're welcome to have that opinion and, you know, you can believe that for sure. You have that right. But um, if you got to know me, like know me, you know, um, and you got to see the truth about me like on a basketball court, you would know that I am horrible at basketball, okay? Like the worst you've ever seen probably, right? So you can't just believe about a person and have that be true. God doesn't want us to just believe anything about him. Remember back last week, for those of you who are with us, Rod talked about the unknown God. Paul um, rolls into Athens, right? And in, um, you know, Acts 17, he's rolling into Athens and everyone has these handmade idols that they're worshiping and there's this unknown God that they're sacrificing to, right? And, and Paul's like, wait a minute, you can know him. He's not unknown, you can know him. You can know the truth about who he is because he is real and true, he is the creator of the universe, the word that became flesh in Jesus. This isn't some unknown God that you can make up something about and believe that to be true. No, there is a truth about who God is. 
And when we grow in our understanding of that truth, we get to know him and it changes us. When we come to know the truth about God, we come to know the truth about ourselves, that we are made in the image of God, that you aren't worthless, but you are worth everything, that you were loved so much that God sent his son Jesus to die for you. The church should be a place, we should be a place where people can come and know the truth about God and know the truth about themselves. The second pair of words, back to verse 20. We see that Paul preached and taught. Okay, how did he do that? Unhesitantly and helpfully. Both great words that give us a little picture of how to declare the gospel. So first, unhesitantly. He preached and taught unhesitantly. Paul did not hesitate. He did not hold back. He was not afraid. He was bold in declaring God's truth. The thing is, the truth about God, we read about in scripture, shows us who God is, and it's like this mirror. It shows us the truth about ourselves. It doesn't show bias. It reminds us of how much God loves us, all of us. It reminds us of who we are in Christ, who God created us to be. But it also convicts and challenges us and often flies in the face of our own agenda, what we want. It's often countercultural. It pushes back against some of the social norms in our day. It can reveal things about us that we don't want revealed. And maybe when we're faced with God's truth, we try to pick and choose what truth we want to take in and what truth we wanna act like is not there but the thing is, it shows no bias. It's like a mirror. And Paul declared it without hesitation. And even if there's some parts of it that we don't want to believe in, doesn't make it any less true. So Paul declared the truth without hesitation, but he also preached and taught helpfully. You know, sometimes we as Christians are good at declaring the truth without hesitating. We can be really good at telling it like it is. And maybe we have the best of intentions to be helpful. But when we lack love and grace in our declarations of the truth, that is not helpful at all. Look at what Paul says down in verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. To be helpful is to not tear down people with the gospel, but to build them up. The truth about God is not something that we can hold on to, that we hold on to our own, for our own sake, or just so that we can say, well, I'm better, everyone. I have the truth about God, and I have all this knowledge about the gospel, so I'm better than everyone. Um, maybe think that you're a better person, or, or just, just so you can be right, and that, oh, everyone else is wrong, and I'm right. You, you don't just have it for that. That's not why it's there. The purpose of the gospel is to build up. The purpose of the gospel is not to just know about it. It's to build up, to heal, to renew, to give and sustain life, to transform our heart and soul, to take parts of our life that are broken and make them whole again, 
To be grounded in the gospel is not just for us to know up here who God is. It's not just so that we can use it as a way to give us a false sense of superiority over others, but it's to transform us. Look at what Paul says to Colossians, to the Colossians in um, 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. When the message of Christ moves from not just something we know, not just some truth that we know, but it's something that becomes screwed deep down into our soul, that we can experience the richness and the fullness of the gospel. As the church, it's not just about declaring the truth just because or for ourselves. It is to build up and restore. Now, there is one more part of verse 20 I want you to notice. We have that Paul preached and he taught unhesitantly and helpfully. And then we see that he did it publicly and from house to house. Paul preached the message of Christ publicly and in homes. He didn't just teach and declare the truth from a platform, but he pursued and declared the gospel through personal relationships, in small groups, in one-on-one conversations. Paul's reminding us that the church isn't just about what happens on the weekend. It's not just about this event on Sunday. It's an incredible event. It's an important event that we come together as the body of Christ and as in corporate worship and have teaching. That is super important. Paul says yes to that. But he's also saying that it happens, the church happens in homes and personal relationships. He's saying that the church isn't just a place we go to on the weekend, it's who we are every day. We are the church in the coffee shop. We are the church when we are at home in Annandale or in a home in a neighborhood in Manassas or wherever you're watching from. What it means to be the church is that we share and live life with one another. That is where the truth of the gospel really becomes part of our life. In conversation, in really intimately knowing one another, in gathering in small groups, life-on-life conversations between friends, mentors, people who you mentor. So the church should be grounded in the gospel and grounded in truth. That's the first point. The second thing that we learn from this passage, that the church should be a place that is full of tears. There is a whole lot of tears in this passage, okay? People are crying and weeping. We're gonna take a look at that, okay? Look again with me at verse 19 uh, and 18. Um, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. And then in verse 31, Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul is saying in two different ways, remember, I was with you. And there was a whole lot of tears along the way. It's similar to what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 
He says, I came to you. Again, he mentions like, hey, remember I was with you. Hey, I came to you. He's, he's saying, remember I was with you. And then he says, in weakness, with great fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So we see this theme, right, of tears and humility and weakness and fear and trembling. And he repeatedly mentions the fact that he was with you. He says, with you to the Ephesian leaders. He says, remember when I came to you, to the Corinthians. It's similar to how when Jesus appointed the 12 disciples, he said, I will be with you. I know that seems simple. Yeah, Josh, I get it. He was with them. But no, to be with means to be exposed, to be vulnerable, to have all parts of your life visible. Being exposed and vulnerable is terrifying, so we often try to control how people see us. And man, can we do that like no other time in history? We have social media. You can control what people see, right? What parts of your life that people can see? We can put up any kind of image that we want. We've all know how to use Zoom now. Oh man, do I know how to use Zoom, right? <laughs> On Zoom, you can control a lot of things. You can control your camera angle and whether it's on or off, and my background, if I don't want you to see my house, right? Um, and I can see myself all the time, so I make sure that I'm looking the way that I wanna look 24 seven. Um, and even, even if it's just subconsciously, we don't wanna be exposed. We don't wanna be fully known or revealed. And what Paul is simply saying, he's saying, I came to be fully with you fully present, fully known. So I came to live with you and eat with you and we worked together, we did ministry together. I was there, I was not holding anything back. So that's the first thing is that Paul came to be with them. The second thing is he says that he came in humility and he came in weakness. Humility was one of the countercultural ideas of the first century because the Greek word for humility was very common and it meant low, it meant defeated, and it was always used in a negative context in the first century. The word, though, was used over 200 times in the Bible and it was always positive. So you can imagine the first century audience around Paul. Paul's going around talking about, I came in weakness and trembling and great fear and humility. Defeated, I came defeated is what he's saying. And you can imagine everyone else around like, what? What do you mean? How is that a good thing? You act like it's a cool thing to do that, right? Why are humility and weakness good things? We often can view them as bad things. And maybe you think, okay, no, you know, be, I, I'm humble, you know, I wanna be humble. Well, if you say I'm humble, I don't know if that's even a thing. Um, but you know, like, I, you know, I, I think humility is a good thing and, and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, great. I know it's used a lot today, but are you okay with being defeated? Are you okay with losing? Being humbled? We can't understand why humility and weakness are so important. They're so important to understanding the gospel, but we can't understand them until we understand a part of ourselves. We all put something, uh, we all put our hope in something. All of us go through life with a certain way that we see the world. And that is 
it determines, um, it's determined by what we think matters. Driven by what we believe the purpose of life is, it's this question that all humans have to answer, whether they answer it intentionally or, or unintentionally. And we measure our value and our self-worth based on what we think really matters. As followers of Jesus, for example, we'd say we believe in Jesus and the gospel is true, and that is what life is all about. That's what gives my life purpose. But whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, what we believe about God and all of that, we can put our hope and trust in things outside of the gospel. We all can do that at times. Maybe we build our identity on our work and how successful we are, how much money that we have or that we can make. Maybe we build our identity on our reputation and what other people think about us, seeking the approval of others or our outward appearance. Or maybe it's some relationship, even a relationship with our own family or a dating relationship. Or even those of us who would say we're followers of Jesus, we say, I build my identity on Jesus, that's what I'm doing. Sometimes we can stray from that, right? Sometimes we can become more focused on how we're performing. We become more focused on being a good person than what it really means to live out the gospel. We, come, we have this like legalistic view, and it's like, oh, now I have to earn it. And the thing is, whatever it is that we build our life on that's outside of the truth, outside of the gospel, we will never be able to truly see humility and weakness as good things. We will never be able to be our full and true selves. We can never be fully vulnerable because whatever it is that we built our life on, whatever it is that we use to measure our self-worth, we can't be vulnerable because we're afraid of losing it. That subconsciously, we believe that we can't live without it. When our work is our everything, we need it. We need it to, we need it <laughs> to feel successful, right? We need to be successful. When our re reputation is everything, we need the approval of others. When our relationship is everything, I'm nothing without that relationship. When we are afraid of losing something, we hold back part of who we are. We think, um, when things are going great, with that thing that we've built our life on, then we're like, man, life is great, life is awesome. But what happens when that thing falls apart? We build our life on this one thing, and when it starts to unravel, our job, a relationship, goals, what other people think about us, when it starts to unravel, we unravel. We lose hope, we lose purpose, we lose our identity, we can feel isolated and angry and all these things. When we are afraid of losing something, we can't actually, um, when, we're, when we are afraid of losing something and we can't actually be willing to lose, then we'll never understand the gospel. And so we can truly understand the gospel when we are willing to lose. It's when we're willing to lose that we can receive God's grace that leads to transformation. Look at what Paul says in verse 24. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. 
And remember what he said in verse 32, I commit you to God and the word of his grace. He calls the entire Bible the word of his grace. Why? It's when we come to the end of ourselves and realize that we can't. No matter what we do, we keep coming up empty. No matter what we build our life on, it keeps unraveling. It's, it's when we come to that place that we can truly understand the power of the gospel. And when we accept God's grace and put our hope and trust in Jesus, we then measure our worth by what God thinks about us. And God's love for you doesn't change. His grace is greater than anything you've ever done or could do. And when you know that no matter what God loves you, when you know that, when you have that deep in your soul, that no matter what God loves you, you are free to be vulnerable. You aren't afraid of looking weak. You aren't afraid of being rejected again or hurt again because we know who we are and whose we are. Paul was not this all put together guy. He had been humbled and moved by the gospel. This guy had great fear and trembling, but he was also filled with love and humility. He reflects our crucified Jesus better than someone who is this polished, pulled together person who knows everything about God or claims to. That's how we are saved, not by pulling ourselves together to follow this pulled together Savior, but by admitting we don't have it all together and believing in the one who gave up everything for us. He didn't win, but lost humbled himself on a Roman cross. You know what that means? It means the church should be a place that's filled with tears. It means that it's okay to cry. It means it's okay to not be all polished. It means it's okay to not be okay. We can just so easily fall into this trap of, of feeling superior to others or needing to feel superior to others needing to feel like we're better than someone else. And it makes us use faith sometimes as a weapon to oppress other people or to hurt other people just so that we can feel better. That is not the gospel. The gospel transforms our identity. where We don't have this superiority. Instead, we have this vulnerability and we show our weakness. Then and only then will people come into a church and see what Jesus is all about. That they would see people who, don't, who, who, are, who are not willing to compromise the truth. They'll see people who are confident in the truth, yet they're filled with love and grace. And when that person walks into that kind of a church, they might have doubts, they might express differences, but they aren't judged or rejected or hated or demonized. And only then, Paul says, do you have a real authentic church? And when you have an authentic church, then you can have an authentic community. The church should be about building authentic community. The church should be a place where you build friendships like no other. Because here's the thing, is you can't have deep, authentic friendship or community without truth. 
One thing that builds community and friendships is common belief and convictions. But you also can't just have that. You, you also can't have deep friendship and community without tears. You can't. Without vulnerability, without transparency, you cannot have deep friendships. Truth and tears lead to deep friendship. Look at the very end with me. Verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And as Luke says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea. You see this picture of authentic community. You say, we had to tear ourselves away. It's like a part of who they are, part of who they were was ripped from them. Friendship is standing shoulder to shoulder facing the same direction. What did they all do together? They all knelt and prayed to Jesus. What united them was Jesus. What brought them shoulder to shoulder was their reverence for Christ. Deep friendship happens when you are awed by the same thing. When you have common purpose and motive. It's true in marriage, it's true in our community, it's true in small groups, it's true in friendships as a church. And from the outside looking into a community that's following Jesus, someone would go, man, there is nothing that these people have in common. Not education, not economically, not vocationally, not their ethnic background, not their political views. Nothing in common, all these people. What is this? Jesus is what we have in common. Jesus is what unites us. It's unbelievable and incredibly enriching. Jesus creates unity across otherwise unbreachable barriers. This is what we are called to. The church should be a place that declares the gospel with boldness and confidence, but in a way that builds people up and restores. The church should be a place that's full of tears, a place where it's okay to cry. It's okay to let your guard down, to not have it all together, to have uh, fear and trembling, but be filled with humility and love. It's okay to reflect our crucified Savior because that's who we are. Through the truth and tears, we can stand shoulder to shoulder, united as one, as friends, as a family. It's the body of Christ bowing down in reverence together before our Jesus. That is what it means to be the church. That is what it means to be a community following Jesus. The early church certainly had its flaws, but we see what the church was meant to be and that is what we can be today. That is what our world needs today. The world needs us, needs the gospel, needs us to be what God has called us to be. How can we do this? 
The gospel writer Luke, who also wrote Acts, through writing this passage, you can see he's trying to get us to compare Paul to Jesus. He has this massive arrow pointing to Jesus. Paul has been made so much in the likeness of his savior that he is basically walking in his footsteps. And just as Jesus made his journey to Jerusalem to be nailed to a cross, so Paul is going to Jerusalem to be arrested and put on trial. He's literally walking in the same footsteps. This giant arrow that points to Jesus. Because Jesus, at the end of his life, was facing the most excruciating and painful death that anyone ever experienced. And the night before Jesus went to the cross, he went into the garden to pray, and he brings along some of the disciples, his closest friends. He invites his closest friends to be there with him. And Jesus says, this is my hour of need. I need you. I don't want to do this alone. And what do the disciples do? They fall asleep on Jesus. They fall asleep in Jesus' hour of need. They forsake him. And it's symbolic because the next day when Jesus would be nailed to the cross, he was forsaken by God and bore the weight of all of our sin and all of our brokenness and all of our junk so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be saved, that we can be in relationship with God and that we can be a real community with one another. We can have these deep friendships. We can be this family. That is why Jesus came. He came for you and he came for me. So that we might experience this authentic love that can only come when we are fully in Jesus. I know we can be that. There is so much hope. There is so much hope. And this world needs that hope. That is who we are called to be. Let's pray. God, we are, um, we are just humbled. Humbled by your love for us. God, humbled that you would send Jesus to die in our place. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel message, this message of hope and restoration and healing, God. God, I pray that that message would be rooted deep into us, that it would transform us from the inside out, that we wouldn't be hesitant in declaring that truth, God, in a way that builds people up. God, I pray that we can be that church. I pray that this can be a church where people know how much you love them and that out of that, they can be vulnerable. They can be their full and true selves. God, I pray that we can be that church. God, we cannot be that church without you. Fill us with your spirit, God. Fill us with your truth and your love and your grace and send us out from this place to not just be the church here, but be the church in our relationships, in this world, in our community, and be a part of the restoring and redeeming work that you are doing in this world. We love you, God. We thank you so much, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.